ye musingers, it is so good to be with you today. In December of 2020, y'all, we've almost made it. We're almost there. Let's take a moment of silence to appreciate what we've been through. That's enough. Um, it's December, y'all. It's about to be January. It's like Christmas vibes and yummy spices and foods, warm foods, warm hearty foods, sweatpants, sweaters. Some of you have already been in this place for a while now, but um, I am in LA and I'm getting used to my new weather reality, which means that it's a little sunnier here, obviously, than New York City. Actually, New York's quite sunny. And before that, I was in Boulder, Colorado, and Colorado is the sunshine state. So I've I've had a lot of sun in my days. Um, but of course, being in California is a, a different kind of weather. But we do get fall, we do get seasons, I'm noticing, and it's pretty awesome. Anyways, today's episode is with a woman who... I was introduced to on the gram, like um, like we do these days, and she really mesmerized me with her her honestly her face at first, <laughs> like her face and her energy and her name really drew me in. Her name's Sarah Poet. How beautiful is that? We get into her name today, actually, because. It's one of the first things I brought up and we went into the story around her name, which is quite fascinating. And I'll read, your, I'll read you her bio here once we hop on together. But for now, I'm just speaking about my own perspective on Sarah and that she's a wise woman. She's a very wise, queenly woman and she's sitting on her throne and she's diving deep into the shadow and the dark side and revealing her process with us it's really beautiful and she is certainly going through a process right now when we recorded this interview and she was game on to um, turning the insides out and revealing to us the inner workings of a relationship that may be um, reaching its full term and perhaps this one ship that they have been on, this one relationship, is turning into a different ship, a different kind of relationship. So that process of listening to her as she's been uncovering some of her deep wounds, particularly around the provision wound, we'll go into today. And so what you should know, especially if you are a woman, but also, you know, especially if you are a man, you should know that this wound is very alive within all females, all feminine creatures. Um... And that is the the fear around being taken in and being taken care of and being provided for. And so there's a very deep wound that our lineage as women hold on to around, <gasps> will we be taken in? Will we be provided for and supported? Will we have money? Will we have a home? Will he bring home the bacon? Even if that's not the world we live in anymore, even if that's way old, even if that's archaic nearly, it lives within the body. It lives within the, the tightness of the hips and the tightness around the throat and the tightness around the heart space. 
So get ready to listen to this episode because we go really deep into this one very specific thing. And that's a new thing we're doing on this show where we go deep into one topic rather than beep up and all around. And I'm really enjoying that so that we get to um, crystallize something that's alive within all of us into a full hour instead of multiple little things. So I think you're going to love this episode. And if you have a desire to continue this conversation to go in deeper, there's two ways that you can work with me. Actually, there's three. There's three. The first thing is you can get a free embodiment practice. Did you know that? Yeah, you can get a free feminine embodiment practice where I'll take you through um, animalistic archetypes. It's super yummy. MaddieMoon.com forward slash feminine. You sign up there. You get this awesome practice. Get it going. Let me know what you think. Second way is my group coaching program. It's called the Sisu Society. Sisu means extraordinary determination and grit. And that's what you need in order to have, be, arrive as love. To feel love alive in any given moment, pulsing through you on a first date or in your 50th year of marriage, it takes resilience. So in the Sisu Society, we focus on this. We focus on how do we cultivate love, be love, while also, of course, setting boundaries and shedding people and shedding things out of our life that do not support our queendom. And yet, how do we, how do we arrive as love regardless, regardless of the boundaries, regardless of what we're letting go of? How do we love what is? There are two group calls, two live calls per month where I will teach you embodiment practices, lessons, tools, and I bring in guest teachers as well, all handpicked, all personally chosen, very, very intentionally. And the guest teachings have been phenomenal so far, so good. So if you want to catch all of the replays, y'all, you can sign on up for that at maddiemoon.com forward slash sisu dash society. And then, of course, last but not least, I have my one-on-one coaching. At the time that I'm recording this, I still have a couple spots left for clients who desire to begin at the start of the new year. So I only do six-month or 12-month. I'm in it for the deep dive. And we focus on anything your heart is craving. If you want to go into the feminine masculine, you want to go into cultivating a queendom with more pleasure or you want to write a book or build an online business or you want to make those beautiful candles you've been dying to make and sell them on Etsy we can work on that with accountability with love and with support because my coaching is yes a place where I guide you with my 10 years of doing this and my own trials and tribulations and successes and errors and also listening to what you're actually wanting and what you're saying in between the lines but also through a lot of support and celebration because especially after this year I think lord knows we all need to have people in our corner that's one of the best things I've realized about this year is how to relentlessly like with sisu let go of what's just not meant to be a part of my life what's not supportive what's not loving that does not mean it's it's not challenging because very often the deepest forms of love will come with the most triggers and once we we show up as love despite the triggers 
is when we start to reach those really juicy places of divinity and union. But with your coach, you don't really want to be triggered all the time. At least I don't. I want to be, every time I hop on with my coach, I want to feel like I'm being held in a warm embrace with a a hot cup of cacao every once in a while you just like oh you get a little bit of like what's the the spice that they put in cacao cayenne pepper you're like wow that was a that was a hit of truth but then you ease back in with with the honey flavor that's dripping deep into your mug I don't know that's a metaphor I'm, I'm I'm trying to work with I don't know if it's working very well but that's how I think coaching should be um supportive and loving and also very encouraging and fueled with accountability if that sounds like your speed you can read more about it at maddiemoon.com and there's also a an application form on the coaching page that you can fill out that will give me all of the answers to questions that I would need to have answered by you and then from there we'll schedule a call and go into next steps all right that's all I'm going to share today let's go head on over and listen to the beautiful insight and the, the, the truth, the deep truth of sacred remembering with Sarah Poet. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Mind Body Musings podcast. Today, we have a super luscious guest with us, Miss Sarah Poet, who is an alchemical life coach, healer, and teacher who activates modern women on a soul path of fully reclaiming her energetic, spiritual, and financial mm, sovereignty by transmuting her feminine and masculine trauma and standing in the full and unified truth of who she is. Yes. She's the host of the Sacred Remembering Podcast for Women waking up to the truth of who they are. You can watch her TEDx on reclaiming the feminine and masculine within each human, as well as read her blog and more at sarahpoet.com. Okay, I have a few thoughts running through my head right now. The first one is, I fucking love your last name so much. Oh, thank you. So I named myself. I was going, okay, that was the second question. I was wondering (laughs) if you, wow. So just last name or also first name? No, first name I was given at birth. And then I had my father's last name and I had a husband's last name and I kept that last name because it's my son's last Mm. name. So my name is Sarah Shoemaker Poet. So I kept the Shoemaker for my son, but then, you know, I was divorced and I had committed myself to this soul journey. And I, when I was a little girl and I would take my little red wagon around the neighborhood there was a mailbox with the name poet a couple of blocks from my house. It was like as far as I could venture. And I have a memory. I don't know if I made it up or if it was real, but I was pulling my wagon and the sun is like hitting the name poet. And, and I thought that's supposed to be my name. And so I thought that my whole life. And um, in 2018, I left my career as a school principal and educator And I was on this soul journeying path and totally committed to it. And I was doing a lot of writing and a lot of speaking and really coming into the truth of who I am. And my name didn't fit me anymore. It was Sarah Shoemaker and it didn't fit me anymore. And, you know, my soul 
And God was like, time to give yourself your name. And so I did. And a a week later, I actually got that message July of 2018 and claimed it. And then I guess it was like a couple of weeks later, I was on a, um, a retreat called Soul Fire and there was an activity to baptize yourself. And I was like, well, damn, now I get to baptize myself in a river with the name Poet. And so that's what I did. And from that moment, I was Sarah Poet and now it's legal. And um, yeah, I claimed it. I claimed the name of my soul. It's one, such a beautiful and interesting name. Like I remember when we first connected on Instagram, it was like a feeling. I didn't have a thought about it. I wasn't like, that is very cool. I was, it was like a feeling washed over me of, ah, just like Mm. this serenity of reading Mm. your name, which is so interesting. Mm. Names hold a very powerful force. They do. I I believe that names, I've talked about this so many times on the podcast that people are like, okay, we know what she's going to say. (laughs) But then your name is your your blueprint of what you're going to experience in your Mm. life. Mm. There is a, a man that I had on the podcast a while ago um, and oh, man, I'm blinking on his name right now. This is so weird, but he believes that your name is, um, uh, you choose your name when you're in the ether between lives, you whisper it into your mom's ear, your dad's ear, and you choose a name that, that whatever the meaning of that name is, is what you didn't learn, learn in your past life and the life before yeah. you're still uh. learning it. So Sarah, for example, what does that mean? Princess princess oh my gosh you're the princess poet so (laughs) So there's a book on my bookshelf that I bought and and I don't I don't really read it but the spine of the book says princess priestess poet and when I saw the book I bought it because I was like that's me (laughs) you know so for some reason I have the name princess um but the the priestess and the poet and I was in a ceremony Uh, a plant medicine ceremony, which I know you've talked about on the podcast before. Um, And, and, you know, it was a sacred feminine, divine feminine ceremony. And I was having a moment with my guides and with Mary Magdalene, it was really strong. Mm. And they were like, really good job doing that name thing. They were like, you nailed it. You, you remembered from when you were little, you, you got it. Like you own the fuck out of it. So yay. (laughs) I was like, thanks guides. (laughs) It's really cool that you have that memory from being a child. Yeah. So I'm super curious around that. My my um my curiosity is whether you maybe like you can't you can't whisper that into your parents' ear whenever you're yeah. in the ether. You can't say and the last name too change that. Like you know yeah. that yeah that was already written in in the stars yeah. of what you were gonna have on your birth certificate. But then as a child you had that very clear moment. It just goes to to tell us how like connect how spiritual we really are. That as a child you're like that's mine. Like your soul Absolutely. knew it, and then you followed up with it as an adult. What a beautiful way to mother yourself. Like yeah, yeah. I will give that to you. Yeah, which is so my path. I mean, almost sometimes in a, you know, relentless sort of way, it's like, are you going to own that, that part too? You know, and Mm -hmm. the answer always has to be, well, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. what I committed to, you know? So it was like, oh, you want me to change my name? Okay. Oh, you want me to like paint my bedroom this really odd shade of pink and live through a year of birthing? Okay. 
um, you want me to tattoo a snake on my arm, like with 24 hours notice? Uh, okay. You know, and, and just kind of, um, following that. And I was, I was living like that before I admitted to myself that I was living like that. You know, I was living in this communion with the sacred when I was a school principal and I really had these wow. like sacred practices on my own. And I had the sacred feminine reclamation. And so I had this like hidden spiritual path. It didn't really fit. It, it all fits together now, but it didn't really fit then why all of that would be happening. And I was honoring it on such a deep level, like that communion was so deep before I allowed myself to really know how deep it was or acknowledge how deep it was, mm. you know? So mm -hmm. I talk with women about the path of sacred remembering and, mm. and like bringing all parts of self back. And so, yeah, if you're going to talk about it, they're going to have to walk mm. it. <laughs> Do you have a memory of your first sacred remembering? When That's a that good started to, when that, yeah, you're, yeah. When your soul was like, oh, I remember. Well, that's really interesting. So I'm writing a memoir right now. And a lot of my childhood was really sort of masked through the lens of emotionality and trauma. So there was a lot of what, not, what I now understand to be mental illness on the part of my father. And so we had this, you never knew what you were going to get. Um, and so you're kind of walking on eggshells around the masculine and um, and so I remember a lot of the way I felt inside of me, but that was often either not validated on the outside or disregarded on the outside. So if I had a body feeling, it was like, no, that's not true, was, was reflected to me. So that's been a lot of my journey is, is like, wait, can I trust myself? was that real? <laughs> um, can I trust my feelings? And so, you know, the name thing may have been the first like really, really distinct memory like that, but I have memories of communing with the sacred, you know, communing with parts of nature and distinct memories about being in church, knowing that something was really, really off. Um, so I, I had to go to church from the time I was very, very young and we'd kind of go in and always file into the same pew. And I had, uh, two younger sisters were four and eight years apart. And I could really tell like, oh, there's not a mention of women here. And what is mentioned of women here is not really feeling good to me. Um, and the way they talk about women and environment is really suppressive. And so I knew that. I knew that from a really young age, but I knew it inside of myself. Like there was nothing, there was nowhere in my life where I could have done anything with that outside of myself. Mm. Yeah. What um, sect of church was it? Methodist. Okay. Yeah. And I'm talking like little dinky like white country church in southern pennsylvania methodist we have a lot in common Sarah. <laughs> we have a lot in common it's wild i, I think i remember us kind of coming to a, like understand yeah. that a while ago but hearing you again everything you just said about your dad is is my mother so i i know i know that very intimately that um 
did that happen? Like, Mm. am I allowed to be upset? Does that make sense? Or wait, did I do the wrong thing? Like, you just don't know. Yeah. Because you're, you're not raised with that. Um, you're not raised with your parent reflecting to you saying, I hear you. What else? Like you, I never had that. It sounds like you didn't have that either. And also raised in the dinky white Baptist church with no mention of women. And if it was a mention of woman, it was around purity and around, uh, submission and children, you know, was honoring your father and mother. And what is the, what's harder than being given the message? Sure. Many things are harder, but in your child like mine, it is very challenging to be given the concrete pillar of honor your father and mother. And then you have a father, father or mother or both who tell you that what you feel isn't real or they disregard your experience or they lie to you or maybe they're physically abusive. So what a perfect storm, like being raised with these um, commandments in your life and then also it not feeling right and you having that inner knowing that this isn't right. It's a mind fuck. <laughs> it's a total mind fuck. And um yeah, I would say that I allowed it, I rebelled against it so strongly uh in my in my adolescent years. And then um I rebelled against it and thought, you know, I read women's lit. I wrote poetry on my bedroom walls. I was like, whatever. I, I somehow got my father to agree that I didn't have to attend church anymore after 16. And then, um, on this like super, you know, I didn't realize I was really, my soul was aching to get in touch with the sacred feminine or it actually just innately was, Um, And I discovered my sexuality. I spent most of my high school years single and just like inner questing, some of the most beautiful years ever. And then um, I would say I found my first soulmate. I mean, real, true soulmate. And we ended up conceiving a child when I was 18. And I was supposed to be in my freshman semester of college, like 10 hours from home and got pregnant over fall break. And so that led to a process of my, my child, um, being raised full term, but being adopted. It's an open adoption. And so I I chose her family and I've always been in touch with her. I know there are a lot of adoption stories out there. So I like to, um, describe that one a little bit. So, Mm. um, we have a relationship and she's 20 years old now to give you an idea. And at that point in time, the shame of that, and we can go further into this, but some of the the combination of the way my parents reacted combined with, I was so, what's the word? I mean, tenuous, like I was strong, but there was that dichotomy of what they thought and what I thought, you know, and then when I was, oh, I have to leave college and come home pregnant. And uh, there was a lot of shame and a lot of sexual shame. And the, uh, the biological father was completely cast out in a really wrong way. And um, I shut myself down after that. I shut myself down and I really lost the connection to the sacred for a long time. And I tried to be good for a long time. I tried to achieve, you know, cause the story was, you can't, you're not, you're not ready to 
have this child yet. You shouldn't have even been pregnant. You know, you're doing things out of order. You're not wealthy enough yet. You're not married enough yet. You're not educated enough yet. And so um, you can't raise this child, but if you get your act together, then you'll be able to have another child after you have your act together. So that became my inner dialogue of like, you have to have your act together in order to be worthy of the most precious thing in the world, essentially, right? Like this beautiful baby girl. And I lost myself and completely lived under that belief that I had to be good enough before I was worthy of something so, so precious. And um, you can imagine like the, the uh, <laughs> subconscious commitment to that belief system, given the depth of the wound. Mm. It was immense. It was immense. Did you want to raise her yourself when you were 18? Okay. So great question. <laughs> um, yes. And there were core beliefs that formed at that time. And again, I'm, I'm writing the memoir, so I'm really picking it apart, right? So belief number one was tied to the unworthiness was that my parents convinced me that this man was, pardon me, but like was shit. They convinced me he will never show up for you. He will not follow through with you and your baby. He will, um, he will let you down. There is no one you can count on. And this was a part of my father's manipulation, not outright manipulation, but subconscious manipulation, I, I do believe. Um, and I was the oldest of three. And so he was very controlling of the feminine. And he had me believe that no other man was to be trusted and look at the shit I had gotten myself into. And if ever I get myself into this kind of shit, the only person I can rely on is him. So he pulled the financial, like the purse strings, you know, and so those beliefs set in so deep. It's some of the core wounding that still comes up in relationships today is that you will not be provided for. And, and so it's very interesting because the provision, the idea that I could have done it without someone's help never crossed my mind. I just believed that I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So there was this deep, deep core wound that there was no way I could raise my baby. And I had to give her away. So, so this is a very just full circle moment. So 17 years later, the biological father and I saw one another again for the first time, 17 years later. And we're like, we're having dinner and it's very nerve wracking and vulnerable. And I tell him, you know, I was like, man, I've never gotten myself together financially. I've been Kind of a wreck. I just like, never believed that I would have it all together. And so it's been this, you know, constant struggle that I put myself through. And, and I said, you know, the, the, what they told me was that you didn't want the baby that you wouldn't have helped. Cause I was 18. He was 24. And he said, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. He was like, I had a bedroom. I had a crib. I waited for you to come back. I had three jobs. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I would have, I would have done all of that for you and the baby. And there was nothing I wanted more. And so I, I looked at him across the table that night and I said, I don't know what you just did, but you just healed something really, really deep in me uh, by letting me know that because there was this like, no one will ever meet you. No one will ever, you know, meet you and your, and your child and, and provide in that way. So um, yeah, this feeling of, of helplessness really, like no matter what you do, you won't, you won't be worthy. Uh, really deep, <laughs> really deep stuff. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for sharing that, that, that full story. It's very clear. You're writing about it right now because the way that you're telling <laughs> it is it's a, it's a story. It's storytelling. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I think, I think a little piece of every woman listening to this feels a little more healed right now. Just listening to that. Um, yeah. I can relate so deeply in my own way of the, um, you know, there's something so, it's both patriarchal and romantic, the idea oh. of your father being like your number one, you know, yeah. and having, having you and like, will take care of you, but also very patriarchal and very untrue of that he is the only man. It's like the father of the world is here to support, especially the father in yourself. And it never comes with, with a, this isn't the right word, but a threat of being the only one you know, and there's this very big story that I believe a lot of women and a lot of Southern women in particular, and I'm sure women from different countries, even more so that are um, very repressive that one, they can't do it. They just, you can't do it. And then two, you can't do it alone, certainly. And then three, no one else will help you with it. And I imagine there are other uh, women listening to this right now who may have may be single moms and feel like there might not be someone out there um not even talking about the father of the child but a future date so mm -hmm. there might be women out there that think no man will want to date me when they can date someone who's much younger much this much this doesn't mm -hmm. have kids doesn't have this how have you moved through any of that if that's because you have um other children, correct? Right? Yes. I have an 11 year old son. Yeah. So I, you can't see it if you're listening, but if you're watching the YouTube, I did just roll my eyes at myself because how did I move through it? So, I mean, current snapshot is that I live in a man's house for the very first time. I was a homeowner. My father helped me to buy a house. I, I kind of want to go back to my father, just kind of interlude for a moment. So I could receive from him only if I deferred who I was. So it was like, we had this cycle, sub, you know, subconsciously or consciously, or just whatever the parent child cycle where he would almost implant, you know, you can cute, chase these dreams, go do these things. And when you fail, then I'll rescue you. But only it was like, I mean, it was really disturbing because it wasn't even outright. There wasn't like a healthy relationship with money. It was like, when you fail and you will, um, then you can ask me. But it was like, it was kind of like a, I don't want to ask you. You know, it was just so twisted. 
And so that really took a very long time for me to break. I don't have an active relationship with my father and um, specifically had to take, stop taking money from him, you know, to like break the cycle mm-hmm. number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And then, and then work to heal my inner masculine, but this has come up in every relationship, the last three relationships, there's like, there's something even deeper, even deeper. And, and I'm a very, I'm a complex woman and a deep soul. And I've, I've figured out a lot, right? So we're kind of in the, the bottom of the barrel here. Um, and I moved in with a man into his home just in spring of 2020. And he built my child a bedroom so that we could move in here. Um, It felt like an offering of really beautiful masculine provision, which as someone who studies masculine feminine, there were parts of me that yearned to accept the provision of the masculine. Um, It's vulnerable for me to do so given everything in the past. And I was ready to really try to make a life, like make a home. So my son's father and I have been divorced for six years. I didn't really date very much after that, but there were a couple of serious relationships and this pattern kept coming up. And so the man's house that I live in now, um, we're not currently in active partnership <laughs> because this is, this is disassembling right now. So I'm having a really close look at some of the things that you're asking. And this pattern of like, it gets to be, you know, too much, like, like I become too much for the man. And then there's this pulling away on his part. And then my provision wound comes up. So it's like, I I really realized within the last few months how I study the masculine and I study the masculine shadow and I write about it (laughs) on the internet and people, you know, I I have a big um, eye for this analytic one. Yeah. That's some part of my shadow that's guarding myself, but also too, is that it's part of my soul contract being a human on the planet to study this masculine and feminine, you know, uh, interplay and, and like what's distorted about it. And so, um, he says that, you know, he doesn't want to be in the relationship anymore. And I went into fear around, but I'm in your house. And you provided a house for me and my child. Like, what are you talking about? And it went right to the core of my like safety and provision fears. And I let myself go there. I went to some shadow work sessions. We we did some together, um, did some, you know, did all the, the therapies and, and the things to really be like, okay, what is this? Like, what is this fear that um, is still kind of, poking its head and resulting, I'm not blaming myself entirely, but, but the shadow element is there. And so, you know, it was like looking at why is this still happening? And part of the reason that I share that story is to say, and I, I love this podcast and you as a human, Maddie, for always being willing to share exactly what's real Um, because I think that even myself, I, I can get on this, like, well, 
have I healed it yet? You know, is it gone yet? And, and I'm currently like, no, wow, this thing, this fucking dragon of a thing <laughs> is still up, you know, no matter how much work I've done or what I know or what I'm an expert at, you know, these things kind of still come around. And that, that element of what is the shadow in your deepest learning I'm getting some of my deepest aha moments about things as big as the patriarchy right now, because I'm like, what is this? What is this hook around provision? And then, you know, a man like cutting that off when it is my deepest wound. Um, so there's something very soul, soul alchemy there in that recipe, you know? Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Thank you for what you just said too. Like this is this, um, being in it, you know, there's a reason why you're so drawn to this work and breaking it down and the, the construction of it, destruction of it. Um, and these are the kinds of relationships that have like the one that you're in, the one that I was just in, earlier this year, I believe that when we did your podcast, I was just at the house and maybe you had just moved in as well. So I think I was getting ready to move and you had just moved with him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 2020 is a year for soul contracts. Very big. Going deep. Yeah. Um, can you give us a peek into, into what the shadow work session looked like when you worked around this? Cause I, I, I I'm really big into shadow work and I think that word in general is becoming pretty popular mm. and that's nice, but it's also not great because I think a lot of people don't understand what that actually looks at to do the work, to oh, act yeah. it out, to embrace it, to let it overtake you. Yeah. So what did that session look like for you, especially doing it, you know, in, in the presence of him, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of let me drop in here. So as humans, we have the ego identity and then we have the soul and the ego wants to <laughs> make us look really, you know, good or protect us from growing or like give us that facade that, that we're good. And I think that in shadow work or in any true soul alchemy work, we need to recognize that 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 thing, that ego is going to want us to not go there. And, and then we're going to have to decide to go there. And so deciding to go there with my friend who is the shadow work practitioner in front of a man who I am not experiencing that he will go there with me, but to stand there and do that work I think that that was, this isn't exactly what you asked, but I think that that was one of the first times that he really saw me be me, you know, because I was like, there is a provision wound right here. And once again, I'm mistrusting the universe because of a man. And so I'm going to get it. Like I came today to find that wound, you know, and really went after it. And so the process was the, the, uh, the practitioner asking, well, what are the narratives 
in your head. And then um, we had, if, if it would have been a group situation, different people would have stood in for these parts, right? Like these, these voices are different parts in you. And um, so we used chairs. So we are like on a round carpet, we call it carpet work. And then you take a piece of fabric from a collection on the wall and drape it over the chair. So there's this expression in the fabric that's like a color, a, a texture, a print that kind of stands for this belief, this rhetoric, this part. And then he gives, we give the part, we give every part a, um, a line, like a voice. I need to take a sip of water. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we like we have to be in the feeling that is evoked with um, with the line. So interesting and losing your voice right now. <laughs> Isn't it? I know I've had I've had a little sickness actually the last few days. Oh. Um, so yeah, that's why I have my hat to you. I know, but I am talking about the voice. So the the lines of each part and like the beliefs of each part are are stood for on the carpet with you. And then you get to look at how those voices really determine your behavior. And so what I found was, and it's really interesting too, like even the placement of the chairs on the carpet say something. So right in the center turned out to be the voice of my father that was saying, um, you know, I don't remember exactly, but it was like, you'll, you'll never fully have it. You'll never fully be okay without me kind of thing or something like that. And so what ended up happening at the end is that there's a transmutation and I was in this like red piece of fabric and, and the, because this was a part, like my, my queen self was a part that was on the carpet. You know, there was a very rational part that was like, this isn't, you know, very rational part. And so in the end, then when he asked what wanted to happen, that part moved into the middle. I actually wrapped myself in it. And then the queen dialogued with each of the parts um, and, and just came like, back to center. It sounds like family constellation. So a little bit. I've never, I, I know about that, but I've never done that. I do a lot of um, internal family systems work and parts work. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there are similarities in, in a lot of them. So if you were to put, because um, you're in the process, you're, you're very much in the process, you're uncovering things. If you were going to put words right now to what your queen would say to your provision wound. Mm -hmm. uh, she's, she's giving you a, a sacred remembering jewel and it's wherever you are at today it might be different tomorrow, but if your queen was to give you some sort of sacred remembering jewel around the provision wound. And this is also, you know, this is an extension to everyone listening, anyone else going through this experience, which I have a feeling is a lot of people. A lot, uh, yeah. A lot of things are shifting, a lot of different, I just left where I was in a cocoon, you know. Um, and we all, man, I think all of us primally have a provision wound. It might not be front and center, uh, but it's there. It's the it's the the fear of not being taken in by the the, you know, tribe, the community the circle. 
Well, and I've been looking at this too, right? And this gets to your question and I'll come back to the, to the answer about what the queen would say. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going deep. What is this? What is this? And, and it was very interesting how the word victim came up and this kind of came up in my last breakup. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to be a victim. You know, what is that? And so I, I was like, where am I in victim consciousness? And that, that wound is a patriarchal wound. You're saying you're sure that some women share it. We share it, this fear that we will not be provided for. And as I dig into it, you know, there's, there's a false king that's erected in the patriarchy, this, this false, like tyrannical king. And that is what many, many of us have associated with the masculine from early on before we're getting conscious about what the masculine is. Like I Prince mean, Charming? No, I'm talking about like my father and your father with the, the mental illness, um, but still a lot of rules and programming. My father really systematically suppressing my feminine. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he was playing that out. I do want to say that my father was bipolar and he had very, very loving times also. Like it was very unpredictable, but I just, I just wanted to like say that right there, honor that the man, you know, had his trauma and, and it played out that way. But he has, he had a big heart, but that heart was taken over by what had happened to him. The programs that, that he had received about the patriarchy, what men are supposed to be, what men cannot be. Um, and so that, that provision wound about will I be provided for? That's a systemic like feminine repression, patriarchal wound, right? So the feminine was taken from, the feminine was not able to have access to resources systematically in a patriarchy. And so this is, um, it's like it's ingrained and embedded until we heal it and it's not. And so that's what my queen self found was this choice to really disrupt any potential threat. I mean, maybe I missed one that's being human, you know, but it's like, okay, what can I clean up right now of any story that's remaining about victim? Because if it's a victim victimizer story, that's not unity. That's trauma mindset. That's a service to self because you're self-protective and not sure that you're going to get your needs met. That's, that's a really scary place to be that really perpetuates sort of that, that old narrative and that old energetic um, between women and men, but also between feminine and masculine. And so a lot of my personal work is like that inner queen and inner king union, the what I call mother and father God union in me and my relationship to that and the true union of that. And so you can't have the union of that and also still have a victim victimizer story running. Um, and so I would also say to anyone listening that, you know, if you have that, I mean, heck, and so much more, it's like, 
it's, it's not just yours. We share that as a collective of women. And, and I believe that we can also heal that as a collective of women, you know, some of these things run in us like, like programs, like software that was really downloaded a long time ago. And, and so it's a choice of like looking at where am I still running that programming that says I'm not enough or that I have to depend on something, you know, outside of myself that's not God um, to, to provide for me or to tell me that I'm okay. And then how do we disrupt that and come back to that personal sovereignty? So that's what my queen's up to. Mm. Mm. <laughs> She's got some juicy wisdom for us. Mm. While you were talking, I had, um, I had a, another little question come from the space of uh, needs. Like when do you allow your yourself to go into needing anything outside of yourself from a relationship? What's your stance on that? Because there's so much talk and, and all the books mm. are about being what it is that you, that you want. And I agree. And yeah. I love your bio, how you wrote financial sovereignty and there's emotional sovereignty. It's all the different layers of sovereignty. Yes, yes, yes. I believe that from that space, when you are being everything that you desire, when you're just being it and, and you're, you don't get what you want, you get what you are. It's basically what yeah. I live by. And from that space, there are still things that I know I desire in relationship. So it's not so much of a, a need, it's more of a desire because you fill it yourself. And yet, speaking of being primal creatures, there are things and there are, there is something so beautiful, I think, about, uh, about looking, taking a bird's eye view and looking at us as humans, <laughs> and like oh, kind of oh, laughing yeah. and being like, oh my God, we really do need each other yeah. and allowing that to be okay. In relationship is where the lines become a little bit more blurry and it's harder to see on what is a need, what is co codependency, what's just pure right. communion. What are your thoughts? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so many thoughts on that. Right. And then if we're trying to be modern women who are also conscious and sacred and leading our men into kingship, that's a whole other layer of like, what are you willing to, to be with? Um, all right. Great question. Do you have needs? Yes. We are primal creatures. So, I mean, we need connection in the body. We need, um, we need touch. You know, I really, I really believe that we need those things, you know, for our survival. Um, my notion of relationships has really changed over the years because I'm on such an intimate soul journey um, in, and in such depths that what I continue to sort of, I'll say struggle with, and one of the reasons why I do think that this relationship is in breakdown is because there's always, and no women are gonna relate to this, especially because a lot of women are having awakenings and their male partners may not be. I think more women right now are having awakenings than their male partners. So 
when I got here to this land, this land is actually sacred. It was probably Cherokee land. There's activity in the earth that I began to awaken to, uh, had never had these kinds of visions before. So I got here to this land and had a spiritual awakening again. Um, wasn't planning on it. One of the reasons that I said yes to this partnership was because I was, I was like, I'm just ready to be kind of a normal human. I'm ready to, um, to not need to share that immense depth of soul journey with like a soul union partner. Because what had happened was that I believed that I had found that partner and it didn't work. And so I was, I was in this space of, you know, I just want a life on it. This is like a farm property and, um, you know, he's a good man and he has a relationship with God. And we, when we were intimate, you know, God would come through those spaces. And I knew that I wanted to know God through union and the rest was kind of like, meh, he doesn't need to be on my soul journey with me. And then we got here and there was this awakening and what I witnessed, and this is what I witnessed in the last two partners as well, is that the bigger I became, this is my story, my narrative, this is not his, the the bigger I became and the more it felt like life was saying, Sarah, you dimmed this light. Now I'm here to remind you that this is your path. Are you going to talk about inner Christosophia union? Are you going to really, really follow through the whole way with this masculine, feminine union, Christic path that you came for? Or are you going to be okay, like turning yourself down a little bit? And that's more and more what the question became. And I work with women every single day who are asking themselves, how do I have all of my truth and still have my relationship, especially when provision is involved? And so I work, I work with a lot of women who fit that profile. And so here I am and my needs are not the walls of this home. My needs turned out to be that I do need a partner that can honor my soul journey. He doesn't have to live it. He's in the masculine, right? Like he's a, he's a Virgo. He's an earth worker. Um, he, he's a crusader for the environment, like very respectable. Um, but I do need to be able to have my journey. And I do need to be able to live every part of my truth even if I've got some shadowy shit coming up. And that was something that I needed to give myself. And I think, to be honest with myself, I entered into this relationship almost willing to make those sacrifices on my soul journey. But because I was just kind of tired, <laughs> because I was like tired of chasing that, Heard that. union. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so this is really my like, no, you don't settle. You don't, I don't want to, I don't, uh, I don't want to like erase, not saying that he was settling, but I was settling inside of myself for, I wasn't 
I wasn't, hmm. I thought I could do the soul journey. And then I started to have this awakening again. And I was like, oh shit, I got to own all this. I got to own all this. And he started to um, have problems with what I wrote on Facebook. And, you know, and that's like the first sign when a man is concerned about how you're using your voice or when a man is concerned how I am using my voice, I'm like, oh, here's that same damn pattern again. So I need sovereignty. I did, I did not come to sacrifice who I am for re relationship and partnership. Um, yeah. I don't believe that that has to happen, but I think that we have a lot of work to do on this patriarchal programming that is inside of us, that is collective, uh, and two people have to be really willing to be very conscious uh, to go through that kind of programming together mm -hmm. as you talk about yeah. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, thank you for adding that example there. Cause I was, that was going to be one of my next questions of what does that look like to honor? Like what's the difference between the relationship you just had and what you want of the honoring and you providing that example of mm the the Facebook and kind of like wait I don't think this feels right with me you know um, my I think our some of our core wounds here overlap because mm -hmm. mine I, I would word it a little differently mine is more around I feel that everyone wants to control me or manipulate me I've heard you talk about that yeah yeah I feel like like my scariest my scariest place in a relationship is when I start to feel like I am being controlled. And then the, the, the instigator for that is I, am I being manipulated? And the manipulation goes into many different avenues with coaches that I hire, with clients that I have, with friends that I have with, am I doing it? Like manipulation is a big theme in my life, which is mm. kind of funny because mm. truthfully <laughs> we're manipulating all day. And it's not right. bad because when we are for example, like you're very familiar with this in the feminine work, whenever we are in the feminine and we reveal our excitement about something because we want him to do it more. That is, in fact, manipulation in a beautiful way. Mm. You're being expressive. You're using it for good. You're an angel of manipulation because you're being excited and it's making him go, oh, she likes it when I bring home sushi. I'll do that more. It's good. Mm. We're getting more and more love. We're being manipulated into love. But the, that's not the side most of us are paying attention to. That's not the way we think of manipulation. We think of trying to get what we want through thing, through actions that are hurting us, that are dismissing us, gaslighting. And so for me, um, one of the lines that I'm here to walk, I'm, I'm, I'm walking the plank of, of learning how to be in partnership with people, very similar to what you're saying. So for me, like, a pillar that's very important for me is that I, my voice is not centered, censored, same as what you're saying here. Mm -hmm. My voice cannot be censored. And, um, my line, the plank that I'm walking here is honoring my voice while also honoring the voices and opinions and desires of others, because yeah. I can bulldoze. I'm so headstrong on yeah. writing that, that erotic poem at, you know, about our last night of passionate lovemaking. You're not going to stop me from writing this poem and putting out into the world, or you're not going to stop me from writing about this. Like you can't stop me. And you know, I'm very big on the gene keys. I'm very big on everything I, I learned through 
gene key world about um, going to these acidic states of the of embodying the ultimate gift of love and everything. And so for me, mm. I've had to learn of like how how is that being a victim of I'm not gonna stop you know censoring mm. and how and am, am I making am I in fact making a compromise of love when I bulldoze bulldoze over the person I love's feelings? This is all getting a little bit complex, but what mm-hmm. I'm what I'm doing is agreeing very much so with you in that no matter what relationship I'm in, I can't I have to continue down this path of of meeting God in union and truth in the online space and writing and poetry and podcasts, whatever. I, I don't want to feel like I have to walk on eggshells of what's real. And change. I have to know that forever till the day I die, I can change. I can go to Egypt and, and, and visit really holy spots and have a partner who supports that. I have mm-hmm. to be able to dye my hair red the next day if I want. He doesn't have to like it, but let me do what I want to do or this or yeah. that. And then with all of those three things, the greatest challenge in all of that is how do I continue to do that through love? Right welcoming yeah. him in to the process yeah. instead of going, this is the way I am, take it yeah. or leave it. Right. How do I move from that to this is the way I am. Do you want to join me? Yep. Yeah. So I coach women on this and I don't feel I just did it the, the best myself. Mm. And I think that mm-hmm. that's where the grace comes in to be like, yeah, I am a human with wounds. So are you no matter how much self-work we've done, because he's done a lot too, but our our shit got triggered yeah. and it got triggered. And I analyzed, I went to analysis because that's what I do, right? Like if a couple is sitting before me and they want to know where their pain points are, I'm like, oh, look, you're doing that and you're doing that. Let's fix it. I can energetically heal that shit when it's somebody else. And I'm not very strong at uh, doing that in my own partnership or with grace, which I've been owning uh, recently. But one thing that came through sort of during all of this, there was a divine instruction to do a set of um, channeled activations of for the divine mother. So divine mother activation series. And I did that and it was very uh, strong and impactful. And then the next um, download was, okay, now do one on the feminine heart. And so I'm, I'm in this four week activation series with a small group of women on the feminine heart. And that was like God's way of being, oh, you want to go through this time of, of a death in relationship and, uh, and learn a little something, Sarah, (laughs) I'm going to have you be in the feminine heart, you know, consciously, um, decide to be in the feminine heart. So I am not getting it right all of the time, but I am learning a lot. And, um, I think one of the things that I definitely could have done with more grace, like I was saying is asked more questions and just left some other stuff alone. Really. Um, he's really sweet in that while 
so we were having this, what I would call an initiation, a soul initiation. So I moved in and shit got crazy. We, there were, uh, there was a missing cat. There was, you know, like all of these different things. And then I had this, uh, animal communicator and we're on the phone with the animal communicator and he's showing up in the masculine and he's like, how can I help? And she starts talking about our dynamic. And he was like, what, what is this? This is not relationship work. We're talking to an animal communicator. Like what's going on? And so it was really too fast and furious for him. And that just might be me. Like I, I might be too fast and furious and I wasn't, I wasn't owning that full capacity um, in, in the beginning of our relationship. But I also think, and I, I just really want to say this for everyone, and this has been a huge part of my learning, that there is going to be a part in every relationship where when the wound is triggered, the, the safety mechanisms will come into play. Like, how do I keep myself safe here? What, you know, what is that person doing to me? Mm. Where are they manipulating me? <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we went too fast, too far, too tender. And he's just like, I'm out. Mm. I'm not going to those places. And so I know that that's, that's very scary. And, um, that's, that's, but it's a huge arena. And I know that so many listeners are like, yeah, you know, do I want my relationship? Do I need to go to these places? Like, you know, women are making these sacrifices and maybe men too, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, making these sacrifices of like, can I have all of me if I am in this? And I do believe that we can. Um, but I don't, I don't have like a list of desires for next relationship. You know, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm an entrepreneur. I really want to dive into my next level of work and me and listening to this sacred, sacred remembering that's really coming through that I feel can come through now because I feel like a huge, like this pattern, this distortion is done. Hmm. You know, that was my vow to myself is that this is the last time. Like if this relationship is going to die, die, this is, this is the last time I'm doing this. So let me see. Like that was my prayer. Let me see. And I could see that we need to stay in the heart. We need to stay in the heart. And that's where union is anyway. And um, yeah, and to stop running the victim programming. So yeah, well, I celebrate all of that. And I know, I know that that is being reflected in, in the ether, in the world so much right now. I'm seeing it left, right. And it's so great. Like you were just talking about um, how you're, you weren't being very strong at it. Right. And I had the same experience <laughs> like four months ago, yeah. wildly triggered and wildly yeah. um, ungraceful at times. Yeah. For sure. And the, the great thing, the beautiful thing is, is when we use those experiences of being ungraceful to explore and to get curious and to, right. cause then it is all for the, it always is for the good, but then it really is for the good. 
this is the alchemy. I mean, this is really what's possible. Right. And so, you know, prior, and I have so many examples of it, I've shared some here, when you get it wrong, quote unquote, in today's society, the initial response is a shame response. And so I don't choose, I, I choose to be in integrity, but I don't choose to play in the shame arena anymore. I, I just don't. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. No. It's like, no. it's not even a, it's not even a, it's not anything kind of, any kind of response, you know, um, in my body, there's nothing that's like the concave, like, oh no, what did I do? It's more like, whoa, huh? what I do? Wow. Like, let's explore that. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. So before we guide everyone to check you out online and connect with you further, is there anyone, any last um, droplet or or inkling mm. of, of love you want to offer mm. mind body musings listeners. Mm. Thank you so much for asking Maddie and for having me and for everyone listening to, to be here. Um, so what I'm really passionate about is this concept that we are sacred as women, we are sacred. Of course, every human, every being is sacred. But when we have some of the, the programming that you and I grew up in and those little white churches and, you know, it, it's like, wait, does that live outside of me? And how do I find it? And how do I know if what's coming through me is sacred information or not sacred mm-hmm. information? You know, how do I know what's truth? And, and like, it's so arduous sometimes this path of what I call sacred remembering, but you know, when we're, when we're looking at, okay, what is the sacred feminine? How do I, how do I embody it? Like, what do I do? It, it can kind of feel like arduous work or like a lot of layers peeling from the outside. And so what I'm really passionate about is inviting women to align to the truth first like the core truth of who you are. And the more we exercise that muscle um, of, of respecting the self as truly sacred, I, you know, I just, I think that it's such a gift that we can give ourselves. I think it really does present that alchemy possibility in our lives. Um, it switches us from an identification with a trauma to an identification with our truth. Um, and, you know, it really helps to, to change the tide, like to, to shift the tide of, um, of the patriarchy. So each woman choosing that sacred self, that sacred core self is such an act of, of beauty for the whole, really. Mm. You are allowed to choose. You are allowed yeah. to choose just like you mm-hmm. chose your last name. Like that's, yeah. that's a, that's really a huge deal is to just to think, you know what, this yeah. isn't my last name. That is. And you choosing that. Yeah. Well, there's just a funny thing. So I live in North Carolina and at the courthouse in North Carolina, a woman has to post publicly her intent to change her last name. And if anyone um, should, you know, dis. Uh, disagree, then they can take that to the court within those 14 days. Um, if anyone should object to a woman changing her name, isn't that fascinating? I mean, we're still in it. 
<laughs> we are very much still in it. Cool, 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 yeah. cool, cool, cool. Love it. Love it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, right, you can well, choose and there's going to be old bullshit that you're going to have to yeah. deal with. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my blood is like a little bit at boiling point, but we're just going to yeah, yeah. down, cool it off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can choose. The there's going to be bullshit and you can keep choosing. Like you mm-hmm. can keep aligning to the truth. Holding the pose. Yep. Yeah. Pose, hold the pose. Yeah. Beautiful. So mm. where can everyone find you on the interwebs and connect with you further? Awesome. Thanks for asking. Uh, SarahPoet.com, S-A-R-A-H-P-O-E-T.com. And everything's there, including the Sacred Remembering podcast. The podcast is also on Apple and Spotify, so people can just download that. Um, And yeah, I'm really all about women's groups and women's group alchemy. So you can find current information about what women's groups are coming up on my website. But then I'm also on Facebook, Sarah Poet, and I have um, a free Facebook group there called Sacred Remembering, uh, like the name of the podcast. And so women can jump right in with authentic conversations and ask questions. And yeah, we'll talk about this this mm. life of reclaiming. Mm. I love it. I love yeah. it. I will make sure I have all of the links that she just mentioned in the show notes to this. So if you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on Mind Body Musings on iTunes or Spotify, you can go to maddiemoon.com forward slash Sarah dash poet. All of the links, the show notes will be found there. And let us know on Zigram what you thought of this. Tag us, take a screenshot of um, you listening on iTunes or wherever you are listening and let us know your thoughts or you can share them on the little audiogram that I post for this episode. And yeah, it's just been so beautiful to have you with us. Thank you so much. And Thank uh, you so much. So glad we did this. Yes, me too. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you.